Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life, encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends through perspectives of hope in Jesus Christ. What is ambiguous loss? How does a thriving student athlete at one of the nation's top prep schools experience a life-altering moment on a football field? This is the story of Pat and Tammy McLeod, a story of Zach and the family's journey of letting go of what was and learning to live with what is. We pause to remind you the reason we have the Good Life Show is to share how the love of Jesus makes a difference in the lives of people. I'm talking about the love of Jesus so strong, he died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried and rose again on the third day, offering God's hope. Dr. Pat and Tammy McLeod serve as Harvard chaplains for Crew, an interdenominational Christian ministry. Tammy is also the director of college ministry at Park Street Church in Boston. She received her master's degree in spiritual formation from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Pat holds an MA in Theological Studies from the International School of Theology and a Master's in Science and Religion and a PhD in Practical Theology from Boston University. Pat and Tammy have been married for more than three decades and are parents to four grown children. Pat and Tammy, welcome to our show. Thank, Thank you, you for so having much. Us. First of all, congratulations on Hit Hard. One family's journey of letting go of what was and learning to live with what is. Tammy, where did you grow up? I grew up in South Central Pennsylvania, near Gettysburg. Well, what was it like growing up there? Rolling hills, farmland, horses next door. So it was just beautiful and quiet, small town. Pat? Yeah, I grew up, I actually was born in Montana, but I was uh, raised in Wyoming. How old were you when you moved? I mean, I was like three years old, I think. So I don't, I, I mean, we we ended up going back to, I ended up going back to college in Montana, and Tammy and I actually lived there, raised all of our kids there. And so Montana is just as much a home as Wyoming. Well, what was it like growing up there in Montana? Very different than Cambridge, Massachusetts, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the it's the Wild West in a way, the eastern slope of the Rockies, spectacularly beautiful, big sky. I would, you know, spent every summer working somehow. Big sky at the, country. Yeah, big sky country, working at the, the, the world's largest and oldest outdoor rodeo. That's what... Cheyenne, Wyoming is famous for. Now, what did you do at the rodeo? Uh, just about everything there was to do, to, to, uh, from you know, selling programs when I was little to shoveling 
out horse poop <laughs> out of the stalls. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just about every – I mean I I learned how to run tractors. I learned how to, you know, do – be a plumber. I pretty much learned how to do everything that has to be done to maintain a big facility. Who would you say influenced you most in your growing up years? Without a doubt, you know, my – my mom and dad, for sure. But they were both teachers and coaches and had an, have and uh, continue to have a really powerful impact on people. Football family? Yeah. My dad was a football player, was drafted to play in the NFL, but was too beat up to go. My brother played professionally and, and in college, and I played with him. Um, yeah. It's been a big, big part of our life, and even more in a in a kind of tragic way with Zach. Tell me, who influenced you most in your growing up years? It was also my parents. I really was grateful. Their focus in their lives was family, so they cared about family more than anything. So I really appreciate the time that they gave to us. When did you discover your your love for music? I started singing from the very beginning of my days. My parents brought me to church when I was a little girl, so I sang in choirs and sang solos. And at Easter and Christmas, we had special programs. So I sang from the very beginning. And how about music? Playing the piano, playing the guitar? I mostly play guitar, but I started playing guitar after I came to know Jesus in college and wrote about 50 songs because I wanted to memorize the scripture that I was reading. Say a bit more about, you mentioned coming to Christ, your spiritual journey. How did you become a a Christ follower? My sorority president asked me three tough questions. Why are you here? Where are you going? And what makes you happy? So I sat down and tried to write out the answers to her questions as a sophomore in college, and I couldn't. So I remember just being frustrated. I took the papers and threw them across the room and yelled out, God, what's missing? Because I had been in church, so I believed in God, but I knew something still wasn't connecting with me. And so I went back to school, and someone was sitting in the dorm lobby, and I said, hey, what are you doing? And she said, I'm taking a leadership survey. So I asked if I could take one. And in the process of taking that survey, it asks, what do you think of Jesus as a leader? And because I heard about him growing up, I said, I think he was a great leader. And so she asked me to be in a Bible study. And I had never heard that phrase before. I didn't know what it meant. But I thought, I can't answer these big questions of life. I just want to learn more. So I went, and I loved reading Scripture. And I just kept reading and reading. And then she asked if I wanted to go to a retreat. And at the retreat, for the first time, I heard how to have a relationship with God, that he loves me, but my sin cut me off from him, and that Jesus died to pay the penalty for my sin. And all I needed to do was just ask him to come into my life and take me where he wanted me to go. Hmm. What... What organization was that with? What what connection did you have there? Yeah, so it was with the crew ministry on campus. And this person who I was talking with was a staff member for crew, just like I am now with Harvard students. 
Pat, how did you become a follower of Christ? Yeah, I did not grow up in a Christian home at all. I, um, Growing up, I was experiencing success in things like academics and athletics, for sure. Um, I, I was even well-liked, and uh, but the one thing I wasn't experiencing was a real sense of meaning and purpose in my life. And I tried to fill that emptiness that I often felt inside with the fulfillment that I thought would come from one, accomplishing great things, and two, being respected and, and liked by people. And athletics became a, a great way for me to try to do both. And uh, I was fortunate to lay, play on a lot of really successful teams and receive my share of personal honors. But I can honestly say that the most empty moments of my life came on the heels of my greatest moments of success. And that puzzled me. Um, and so a critical moment came in, in my life when I was, this was just like the senior year before uh, I would go off to college, and I was, I suffered an injury which seemed insignificant, but when the doctor saw it, he said I was going to have to report to surgery uh, the, the next morning. And, uh, and I remember I looked, at, I looked at him, I said, but how soon will I be able to play football? Because this was my senior year. The chance of getting a college scholarship depends on how your senior year goes. And he says, I'm sorry, son. You're going to have to forget about football this year. And that was devastating for me. Um, But to make a long story short, I didn't report to surgery the next day. We went to another doctor who said, you you can go ahead and play out the year. You'll just have to get the surgery at the end of the year. But you'll have this deformed hand. And, And I was happy to accept that as a condition. And was able to go to college, but uh, so two things happened because of that incident. Uh, the first one is I I was able to keep playing football and continue on that track. But the more important thing is I became very superstitious <laughs> and religious, and I made this deal with the God that I didn't know that if He could make this happen, I would I would straighten up my life and all this stuff. And and so I found myself at a crew meeting my first week of college. I was invited by a guy on the football team. And uh, within a few days, I had, uh, well, he gave me something to read. And I read it. It was a, basically a gospel track. read it three times. And after the second time, I realized I didn't know this is what Christianity was about. And I accepted Christ, and that changed my life. Where did you meet? We both went on a summer mission with crew, Wildwood, New Jersey. So we met at the Jersey Shore. And Pat didn't tell me he liked me until the last three days of the summer mission. So we only had three days to you connect. Know, and she told me, that. It, well, it, there's more to that story than that. <laughs> I, there's, always, there's always two sides to it. So The, the it, moment Pat. I saw Tammy, I asked myself, I wonder if I'm going to marry that girl. And that's not something that I thought about every time I saw a cute girl. I thought, but I did that. I, I I did with Tammy and then, but I didn't have the guts to tell her. Uh, and when I did, she was like, "Oh, well, that's not what I was expecting you to say." And and so there was no interest until the next day. She changed her mind and said, "Okay, well, I think we should go on a date." <laughs> if you were able to see Pat and Tammy, they they are brimming uh, ear to ear. I can see their teeth, their eyes are glistening. You know, these are are moments that. 
you know, we never, you never forget the love of your life, God's blessing, God's gift. Well, you got married, you have four children, your chaplain's at Harvard, an event, a phone call. You receive a phone call at a football scrimmage. When we come back, let's hear that part of your story. You're listening to Pat and Tammy McLeod. You can find out more about them at patandtammymcleod.com. They are the authors of a book, Hit Hard, uh, One Family's Journey of Letting Go of What Was and Learning to Live Well with What Is. They find strength for the soul that is needed to endure personal suffering, suffering that they'll share with you. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life, famously beneath the barren sky, leave it to me. James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Well, the book is titled Hit Hard. Dr. Pauline Boss, Professor Emeritus, University of Minnesota, and author of Ambiguous Loss, says of the book Hit Hard by Pat and Tammy McLeod, riveting helpful for anyone coping with losses of any kind. Pat and Tammy McLeod join us today. You can find out more about them at patandtammymcleod.com. And look, if you're tuning in right now, maybe you caught the tail end of the last segment, you can get this program in its entirety. Just go to drdanny.live. This podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, and major platforms. Share it with a family member or friend. Tammy, Pat, Zach was playing at a scrimmage. You were at an event with students. What happened? We were at the first meeting of the year for our college ministry. And so if you can just imagine a room filled with a couple hundred college students who are seeing each other for the first time after a long summer, kind of like a rock concert. Uh, situation and it had, the meeting had just ended and I was actually chatting with a student when another Harvard student came up behind me and interrupted that conversation uh, and was by the look of her face on her face she was upset and she said 
it's your son, Nate. He's trying to reach you. And both Tammy and I had left our, our phones in our backpack, so we didn't even know. But uh, Nate had been trying to reach us. And he, as soon as I got on the phone with Nate, he said, Dad, why aren't you answering your phone? You're, uh, we've been calling. The, the, uh, the coaches were calling. Then parents started calling. And now the doctor, the, the hospital is calling. Zach has been hurt. And uh, they said he's being airlifted to the hospital and is going to have to undergo an emergency brain surgery. And uh, within seconds, we kind of dropped everything. We ran out with our son Soren, got into the car. We're racing down or down uh, Commonwealth Ave to try to find our way to a hospital that we had never been to before. When we got there, we were met by uh, nurses who uh, ushered us into a place where we were there with Zach, a pre-op room, and Zach was still in his football gear, um, and he was intubated. And the doctor busts through the door with a whole bunch of attendees and said, uh, you know, your son has suffered a traumatic brain injury, and, and we have to open up the skull cap, remove a blood clot, uh, cauterize some vessels, and um, this could re- the results could be anything from death to a full recovery or anything in between, and I need you to sign right here. And so we did, and then we kissed Zach goodbye, and they, they wheeled him away. What was going on in your heart, Tammy? While we were driving down the road, I know it sounds crazy, but I was experiencing a really deep peace, even in the chaos. And so I had confirmed at the same time um, fear of what could happen, but also knowing that we weren't alone, that God was with us as we went. So we prayed as we drove down the highway. Um, When I got there, Zach was... um, not able to communicate with us. So what I wanted to do is we didn't know if he would die in the surgery, we wouldn't be able to see him anymore. So we just wanted to give him a hug, kiss him, pray with him before he went off to surgery. So it was pretty intense. Thank you for living, reliving the moment with us. As you think back, 14 plus years ago. As you think back about being in that trauma center, having to say goodbye and not knowing, how important has the experience been in connecting with a larger story? I mean, I think the initial, in the moment, it wasn't, we were in shock. It was... Uh, for me at least, pretty, you know, it definitely helped, by the way, to have people around us. Of uh, um, We were surrounded from the beginning with some very close friends who were there. Um, and that just, in a way, created a cushion for us. Uh, we, we definitely had some moments of prayer that were meaningful. I think there was... But the best word, two words of where we were, where I was at that moment, were shock and maybe denial. Like I was still, is this, this, this could be just a little thing, you know, maybe the, he said a full recovery, you know, he might be 
it wasn't for weeks before I began to give up the possibility that Zach would come back and play that season. <laughs> you know, it's not like all of that hit me at once. I thought, you know, he's going to be okay. In time, Tammy, how did your feeling about football change? And in what ways were there, were there conflicts between the two of you? I grew up loving football because I sat with my family and watched it. (laughs) So it was a family affair. And then I even loved it when our kids played, just watching Zach gracefully on the field, running, catching passes. But through this process, um, I can't watch it anymore. So if we go to the Harvard football game, There are also cheerleaders involved, so I'll take photos of the cheerleaders or something to just, I can't watch the game when the Super Bowl came on. I didn't watch it. If I go to a Super Bowl party, I just go off and talk to people and don't watch the game. So I totally changed. For you, Pat? Uh, Danny, I haven't completely given up on the game. I mean, it's a big part of not just who I am, who my family is, but I think it's had a profound influence on our society in in many ways in a in a very good way. And, and I say that because I personally feel like, <clears throat> excuse me, that one of the greatest uh, deficits in our country is the one that's brought on by our radical individualism. We have such a... Uh, radically individualistic culture that for, you know, there's a lot of good that goes with that, you know, this the country that we live in with its commitment to to the individual and protecting the, the, the civil rights of people and all of that is is great stuff. And but we are uh, we're very individualistically minded. And so when you have a sport that can bring together so many diverse people from so many socioeconomic backgrounds and so many different sizes and talents and put them together, 11 of them on a field with all the other staff. And then you have this incredible fan base that is following and forming around these teams. I just feel like, and then, and then just the game itself doing what good sporting stuff does, you know, developing character like hard work and teamwork and discipline and diligence and determination and all that stuff you know that those are those are virtues that have made our society strong when i as i read the book i appreciated the the candor of the ongoing tension even even <laughs> to this day there's there's you know there's not not there's two paths in terms of mm. the perspective, but the searing mm. shock and pain that you went through, a life-altering, family-altering experience. How does the meaning of Zach's name mm. speak to you 14 years later? Zach's name means the Lord remembers and to me, that's just really encouraging because he remembers what he was like before he was injured, um, how much he loved God, um, how close he was to him. And Zach still is today. There's no change in that part of his life. 
So for me, most people don't, they either didn't know Zach before, so they don't know the Zach that I knew, um, or they think only of him as he is now, and they don't remember what he was like before. So to me, the Lord remembers is really encouraging because it shows me solidarity in my pain. I feel validated in my pain. Yeah, I, it's interesting you're asking this question, Danny, because last week I had an incredible dream that was almost like a vision from God that I had have never had. But it, it, Zach, I was with Zach, and we were at the beach, and he started running around. And I, and Zach requires a gait belt. You have to walk with him because he has no balance now. And, um, and I was shocked and went running to grab him so that he didn't fall. And as I was doing that, I was realizing he's not falling. And he kept running, and he's not even limping. And I was, what I was seeing was the Zach that we have right now in terms of a 31-year-old man with all of the qualities of love and affection that we still see in him, but without the broken body. And that name, the Lord remembers, was what came to my came to my mind. Is that oh, this is this this is the son that I would have right now had he not been hurt. Why do you believe the Lord gave you that dream? I, I think just to remind me that that that's a fact. That is our hope. You know, with uh, hope, the hope we have in Christ is the anchor to our soul. We can endure a lot with hope. And you have, you have. Beyond description. That's why I'm so grateful that you put it, put it, put it in words for others to share. What were some of the unseen wounds mm. on? Chelsea, hmm. Nate, Soren, your other kids. I remember Chelsea said to me, you think it's bad to lose a son. I lost a best friend. And so the person that she communicated with all the time by texting or talking was just gone in a moment. So she was first year in college all alone in a place she'd never been before with no community. Um, so that was hard on her. Uh, Soren, from the moment he was born, Zach would carry him around every single second. So they were inseparable. So Did I hear somewhere that they slept together yeah, on a single, single bed? <laughs> <laughs> so they were very, very close. It was more like a dad-brother type relationship. So in a moment, he was just gone. You're listening to Pat and Tammy McLeod. They're speaking of their son, Zach, and their family in this journey. It happened over 14 years ago. They've written it, the story in a book called Hit Hard, One Family's Journey of Letting Go of What Was and Learning to Live Well with What Is. When we come back, more from Pat and Tammy. How did they relate with 
how do they relate with the news act that and more my friend have you experienced a moment where or do you know someone who's going through a moment of loss that is indescribable and their lives have been changed in a flash well this message this word this conversation is for them stay with us we'll be right back On behalf of Danny Yamashiro Ministries, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, weekdays at 6 p.m. on WEZE, and visiting drdanny.live for more resources. My dear friend, it is because of listeners and donors like you that we are able to spread the message of Jesus' love and bring hope to people like you, your family, and friends. Proverbs 11.25 says, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Will you prayerfully consider donating to Danny Yamashiro Ministries so that we may continue to broadcast the gospel so believers will be built up and non-believers may form a relationship with Jesus Christ? Visit drdanny.live to make a financial contribution today. That's drdanny.live. And thank you again for supporting The Good Life with Dr. Danny. May God richly bless you with The Good Life. Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Pat and Tammy McLeod find that strength for the soul is needed to endure personal suffering. Over a decade ago, their 16 year old son, Zach, suffered a severe traumatic brain injury playing high school football. Instantly, he became severely disabled for life. Pat and Tammy, how do you relate with the new Zach? I knew that Zach was still really spiritually strong after his injury, so I would read the Bible and pray with him and continue to worship with him, which was one of our favorite things to do. So we had a really strong mother-son bond, but we also had a really strong spiritual bond. And now his right hand doesn't work very well, so he can't strum his guitar anymore. But he knows all the chords. So it's called revising the attachment. Uh, Pauline Boss calls it that. She's the expert on ambiguous loss. So it's the attachment stays, but you have to revise what you do. With the person. So he plays the left hand of the guitar. I reach around him with my right and strum it. So we actually do worship together um, at Park Street Church. And it's just an example of how I've had to change. We can't do worship the way we used to, but we do it modified. Now, you, you early on, you, you had him focus. This is before the the accident, jazz and worship music. Why why did you direct him to music and those particular genres? Because I love music so much from my youngest days, I wanted to expose my kids to music too. And when we moved to Harvard, 
he wanted to take guitar lessons. So one of the Harvard students taught him how to play, and he was amazing. And then he just started leading um, worship and loved it. It was his favorite thing to do. And he continued to lead worship even in South Africa? Yep. Say more about his experience before the accident, and maybe we can talk a little bit about how things are now. Okay. What was that experience like? So we took Harvard students to work in a township in South Africa, and we were trying to help kids. We still do this today. It's year 14. But we're trying to get kids into college um, from the township because not many of them make it. And so Zach just loved being around the kids. And the year before he was injured, we actually worked with kids with disabilities, which was a very interesting thing. Um, we got we formed really great relationships with the kids, though it was very hard at first. We saw the beauty in them, and they totally influenced us. So that year before he was injured, he had an incredibly close walk with God, incredible connection with the Harvard students as he led worship, and incredible connection with these kids who were disabled. He told, he told us, Danny, when he came back from that mission trip that he just wanted to drop out of school, move to South Africa, and adopt, oh, mar marry a black South African and adopt 10 AIDS orphans. <laughs> a, a point of clarity, a calling. I wonder if God would ever have me become one of them. You write about him saying that during this time. Pat, how was that a turning point for you? Yeah, I, I mean, when he's, you know, he said that a few days, literally maybe just like a week before um, he collapsed on the football field. Those are some of the, the la that one of our last conversations was him saying to me, and we, we had been, we were uh, remembering our summer with those kids, with those kids with disabilities and smiling. And, and all of a sudden there was this pause and Zach said, you know, Dad, this may sound weird, but I wonder if someday I might become like one of them. And I remember it being uh, kind of out of the blue and awkward and I didn't take it as a joke. I just said, well, you know, Zach, I, if something like that were to happen to you, I, I, uh, we would love you the same way that we love those kids this summer. He goes, yeah, I know, Dad. And that was the end of that awkward conversation. But that was one of the first things to come to mind when we, uh, a week later, Tammy and I, after we, the, the initial uh, trauma of the incident, we sat together in his room. We looked at the things that he had written on his bedroom wall, verses, Bible verses, about uh, that almost forecasted what was to come. This this incident that he was praying for his his high school friends and just praying that God would use him to and, and do whatever he needed to do in order for him uh, to be able to help them come to know Christ. Uh, so yeah, I, I, at that moment, I was beginning to feel myself being pulled into this bigger story, that God was up to something much bigger, that this wasn't a surprise to God, that he was with us in it, and that he, he was going to bring something good out of it. 
while you were first there at the hospital, and I'm tracing back into that moment of trauma, there was a brief reprieve, Pat, and uh, your friend Marty Mm. was there with you, and you went out to eat. And he says, I have a feeling Zach will become more delightful than ever. As you reflect now, what do you feel? Yeah, that was the most accurate prophetic moment of this story. That um, I've even said, and I know I don't want to, I would love to see Zach as he was without the injury. But I can tell you there's certain ways about the way his disability has accentuated certain qualities of his character that I would miss if they weren't there. <laughs> He's got a brilliant mind, and his right brain is very creative. Uh, he just can't express it in words. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I think that's what I would say. And you, Tammy? Uh, well, just like we have different views of football, we also have <laughs> di- different views of this injury. He, Zach is very life-giving. Like when he walks into a room, his face lights up. Everyone loves hugs from him. But then he could fall in an instant or choke on food and die or have an accident in the bathroom or whatever. So mm-hmm. it, I think it's good to not just look at the the this is great side of Zach, but also realize there's massive loss. Like Zach will never, unless God miraculously heals him, uh, be able to marry, have children, have a job to support himself. And so I just like us to not only focus on the good, but actually hold the hard and the good together. Again, that was one of the most precious things about the tension in the book, Tammy writes, Pat writes, and your perspectives. A mother or a father in a situation of their own may be resonating with you and may be resonating with you, Tammy, and with you, Pat. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we, we tend to think, don't we, that there has to be a resolve and everybody has to agree we both have to agree, but there's uh, maybe a kind of healthy tension in this. How does this speak to ambiguous loss? What does Pauline Boss say about this type of tension? Yeah, so she describes two types of loss. First, a physical absence with psychological presence. So that would be like divorce, adoption, immigration, um, mental illness, addiction. But then there's also, well, actually, no, that would be more like um, natural disasters, war, terrorism, things like that. But then psychological absence with physical presence would be like Zach. So the traumatic brain injuries, Alzheimer, dementia, and then mental illness and addictions. So she says basically that ambiguous loss is the most stressful type of loss, and it's because it never ends. It doesn't have an ending. 
It just keeps going on and on. And there's no linear process of letting go. And there's rarely acceptance. So there's not usually acceptance in my son now Hmm. will never be able to marry or have children or work to um, provide for himself. Um, And the biggest thing I think in ambiguous loss that she talks about is that it's not validated. So because Zach didn't die, there are no ceremonies for people like us whose person is physically still here but psychologically different. And so just reading her work reminds me of being validated, but she talks about living with having and not having, that you just have to do that to live with ambiguous loss. Danny, can I add to that point? Because I think uh, to your earlier point about when the challenging thing like, with living with an ambiguous loss is that you have to learn how to live well with both having and not having at the same time. And that's really difficult to do. And you typically do one or the other, but, and and in some cases, neither, neither. Well, um, it's even more complicated when two people are dealing with the same loss and one is doing one and the other is doing the other. In other words, one is sort of obsessing over the son he still has and living in complete denial about the son that was lost. And the other is completely embracing the lost son but failing to revise her attachment to the son she still has. That's, this, that's, this, that's why we wrote the book is because we've lived, we still live in that tension and the story validates that tension for people who are going to be in it. Because ambiguous loss, especially with the pandemic we've just been through, it's ubiquitous. Everyone is having it in some form or the other. And, and we don't do a good job in our society at helping people grieve, period. We don't, we don't like losing things, right? No one does. And, and so we're not very good at that. And um, providing a story that helps people see how that becomes a reality and how it almost destroys a family and a relationship, Uh, but how in the end, you know, kind of stumbling upon, well, Tammy didn't stumble upon it. She worked to find it, but understanding Pauline Boss's research on this was really helpful. You're listening to Pat and Tammy McLeod. How does one get through what was and what is that perspective? on ambiguous loss? I think Pauline Boss's work, she spent 50 years of her life, her whole career, working on this. Um, She talks about adjusting mastery uh, is one of the things that we need to do to have resilience. And basically in America, we think we can fix everything, solve everything. Sometimes we just can't. (laughs) So she said we need to loosen up a little bit with that. Um... Then reconstructing identity, we have to think about now who are we and what are my roles because I became a nurse. I became a personal care attendant. I became all these things I didn't used to be in an instant. And so you have to think about again, who are you um, after an ambiguous loss and work on that. And that's a relational process. In our family, we had to all figure out what role do we play now? Soren became a PT helper, so he was actually working with Zach 
helping him and and Nate became a PCA, so a personal care attendant. So all of us had to figure out what are our roles. Um, a third thing is normalizing ambivalence and ambivalence is just having mixed feelings. Like I can really love Zach and I can be really sad at the same time because I miss him and because he will never be able to marry and have children, for example. So just realizing that the two clashing emotions are fine. So she thinks it's really important to work on that. And then revising the attachment. I gave the example of playing the guitar. The attachment for a person we love never changes. Like that bond that I had was that was it can never be broken. But now I just have to find new ways to relate to him. And my newest one that I just started, he rose out of community rowing. And I went to watch him row on his barge. He's rowing with 70 and 80-year-olds. It's so fun meeting them. And the coach said, you could jump in here if you want to and row with him. So I just jumped in the barge and started rowing. So I just try to find new ways of connecting with Zach. You had a time of talking about getting back to the ceremony. You had a ceremony, two ceremonies for Zach. Can you just touch on that a little, little bit and what that meant to you in this process? The first one um, was grieving the loss. So that was the side of ambiguous loss I was falling off on. I wanted to be able to acknowledge the loss. And so we brought uh, out four tables and put a lover of God table, a lover of sport table, a lover of nature table, and we just put Zach's things out so that the people we invited could just walk around and see things um, that were important to Zach. And then we came in and we had everyone in our family speak. Pat did um, a slideshow that actually he might want to talk about this later that connected him to his emotions as he watched Zach as he was before and Zach after his injury. So we did the slideshow. We ourselves shared as a family what we missed about Zach. Um, Each child got up and said something. And then we had people write on blue cards and gold cards. What did they miss about Zach? And so the blue cards they were filling out at the first ceremony. And then they stood up and they shared. So in community, we got to hear what other people lost. And those who didn't stand up, we took the blue cards home and we read them at home. So it was really meaningful to see what other people lost. And some people said, why are you doing this ceremony? Because Zach's alive. (laughs) And after the ceremony, they said, we really needed this. We didn't know that we needed to grieve in community, and you made a space for us to be able to do that. I don't know if you wanted to talk about the second uh, one. Well, there was that, as you said, Danny, there was a second ceremony, which it's fitting, I guess, that I'm the one talking about this one. <laughs> and, it was, and it was in the same day? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, in a different place, though, different a different place. venue. And that was like a birthday party because this, this was the day between the anniversary of his injury and, and his birthday. And it's, it was perfect. And we, you know, celebrated the Zach we still have. And he was there hugging. He was there at that one. He wasn't there at the first one. 
he was there at the second one and just you know dancing and 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 hugging everyone and there were more tributes to the Zach that we have. I remember reading about uh, undefeated season for mm. uh, Buckingham Brown and Nichols B and B B and N and Zach being there playing a, a vital role in the big game. <laughs> Wasn't that something? Mm. The way you write about it, it, seeing him in the shadows, <laughs> and Coach Pappas sees him, and then the team, is that him? Is that Zach playing? Well, you talk about playing for a pain pulling you into a greater story. The Zulu word, tembaletu, what does that mean to you? Yeah, well, that ironically was a sign that was pasted across the entrance to that disabled children's home. And the summer that we were there, a couple that we were with uh, took a scratching of that onto paper. And we showed up one day uh, at our house with that scratching framed beautifully right above our door. Um, and, yeah, it, it, is, it is hope. I do, I do think that that's kind of been the story of the book for me. That's one reason why I wrote the book. It's because... I mean, it's a little bit of a, uh, the odyssey, the book, of how do you make sense of a world that's filled with so much suffering and evil? Uh, that's a big question, you know, and it's a, it's a question that uh, Hans Kung, a famous Catholic theologian, called it the rock of atheism, because if, if the Christian God is loving and a Christian God is all-powerful, he would first of all, want to do away with evil, and he'd have the power, secondly, the power to do it. But evil exists, and, and, and therefore there must not be a loving and all-powerful God. And I think that, um, you know, my response to that, even prior to the injury, I spent a lot of time thinking about that, ironically, and um, actually have lectured on the, that um, in college classrooms. And I... Um, think that the doing so gave my heart a space to 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 meet God in the midst of this that wouldn't have been there had I not taken time to think about it but the the bottom line for me is that first of all to, uh, removing God from the problem of evil and suffering doesn't really resolve the problem of evil and suffering you still have it in fact you have another problem though it's not the God problem it's the good problem where does our protest against suffering come from if there is no good God out there, right? Uh, and so these other, these great traditions, these great stories, these re they, they deal with it in different ways. One of them puts forward a capricious, more capricious God that may not be loving the way we think of God in the Christian tradition. And others say it's an illusion, you know, that suffering isn't a real thing. Well, I, I tell you, it's felt pretty real to me. What we've been through is very real. And so if you do believe that suffering is real, uh, you can at least be assured of this, that in the Christian story, God is on your side. In fact, the whole Bible, God is on your side. First of all, it's not only treated like the biggest problem of the book, but its solution is the ultimate focus of the, of the coming of Christ. What could be a more profound response to the problem of evil and suffering than a crucified God? There, there isn't. God, a God who came into the world, suffered, laid down his life so that we could be 
one day forever uh, with him in a place where there is no longer any evil and suffering. That's the Christian story, and that's what that's the story that I felt we were brought more deeply into um, as we've gone through this with Zach. The bigger story. The bigger story. I'd like for us to have a time of prayer. And I think this is very timely because you speak about the bigger story. You talk about Christ. You talk about God's story. You've written about redeemed ambiguity. Would you pray for someone in this moment of Dembaletu, hope, to pray for someone in this moment of uh, ambiguous loss towards redeemed ambiguity? Would you do that, Tammy? And then I'm going to turn it to you, Pat, as we close the show today. Dear Father, thank you so much for this time. I want to pray for anyone who is listening and grieving. I ask that you would give them the gift of tears, that you would help make a space for them to be able to connect with their grief. They wouldn't be afraid just thinking about Psalm 34, that you're near to the brokenhearted and you save the crushed in spirit. I ask that men and women, boys and girls who are listening, would experience that. It wouldn't just be a Bible verse, but in their suffering, they would sense your nearness. And God, I too pray for uh, whoever may be listening to this right now who's uh, tasting the pain and the trauma and the the loss of either an ambiguous or a clear death, a loss of a loved one, and uh, ask God that you will meet them. We thank you, O oh God, that you understand death, that you've come into this world and died yourself in order to to save us from a world that's filled with loss and death and suffering. So I just pray, God, for you to bring, to, to be there and comfort. Just think of Jesus, what you said when you said, uh, in this world you will have tribulations, but have hope, I've overcome the world. I pray for, for you to reveal yourself as the God of hope and the God of life and the God who wants to forgive and bring people into communion with yourself. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tammy, Pat, thank you for being with us today and sharing your hearts. Thanks thank so you, much. Thank you, Dembaletu, hope, words of hope from Dr. Pat and Tammy McLeod. Pat and Tammy McLeod.com, my friend, God's timing is perfect. And there's no better time than right now to share the love of Jesus with someone near you. And look, if you haven't done so, I believe this might be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Jesus. Go to drdanny.live for next steps. Find resources to reach family and friends. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, major platforms. Psalm 118, verse 4, The Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to 
Dr. Pat and Tammy McLeod, patandtammymcleod.com. Until next time, along with my producer and creative director, Brian Torres, social media director, Luke Yamashiro, and guest coordinator, Jan Yi. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.